Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. Our purpose is to reinvent how people make decisions, take action, and optimize performance by unifying technology, analytics, and data. At IRI, we are about smarter decisions, faster actions, and exceptional performance. As part of that effort, we regularly share our thought leadership with the industry at large, addressing and tackling the most pressing challenges and opportunities within our industry. Our special C-suite conversation series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we'll be talking with Tanya Domeyer, CEO of Advantage Solutions, a leading provider of outsourced sales and marketing services to consumer goods manufacturers and retailers. We'll be talking with Tanya about the changing retail landscape, opportunities for collaboration, and what it will take to succeed in the future. Tanya joined Advantage in 1990 and has held a variety of executive level positions in sales, marketing, and operations. In 2000, Tanya led the formation of Advantage's award-winning marketing division, Advantage Marketing Partners. She also developed as president and CEO, the five pillars that comprise the company's strategic platform, people, culture, creating raving fans of clients and customers, operational efficiency, and growth. From this, Advantage transformed from a sales and marketing company to a leader in outsourced business services and solutions. Tanya has served on the company's board since 2006 and assumed the CEO role in 2013. Leading today's conversation is IRI's president and CEO, Kirk Perry. Welcome, Tanya and Kirk. It's great to be here with you today, albeit virtually. Kirk, with that, over to you. Hey, thank you, John. And Tanya, thank you again for joining us. I'm absolutely certain we're going to have a terrific conversation. I Um, am really looking forward to it. And I thought a couple of fun facts to share with people. One is you started your career at the J.M. Smucker Company, where I sit on the board today. So that was a pretty cool I did on Strawberry Lane. On Story Lane in Orville, Ohio. So I know that place well. And the other thing was, you started at Advantage the same year I started at PMG. So I am certain at some point our paths crossed. Just don't know where, but I'm certain we were maybe in the same store location at various points in time. Absolutely. We both carried a bag. So we probably were. We did. And I'm sure we did. So just a question for you. I mean, you have tens of thousands of associates. Advantage. And we've all been under incredible stress, duress, whatever word you want to use during the pandemic. What has an Advantage associate done recently that has inspired you? There's so much. Um, I think we've talked about the resiliency of what we've seen in our teams. And I think for me, particularly the frontline workers, I look at how much they've given of themselves during this pandemic from the very beginning and the sacrifices that they've made. And 
I'm so impressed by how they were able to pivot to do whatever was needed, whatever the retailers needed, whatever brands needed. I think, you know, one of my favorite examples of that is early in the pandemic when our marketing services and demo in particular had to shut down, our associates transformed overnight from demo ambassadors to people who were in the store sanitizing carts Hmm. for consumers. Whatever the retailer needed, we were there to support them. And when I think about individual associates and what's inspired me, I think really the progress of our ERGs during the pandemic, I feel like it's brought out this empathetic side of humanity to understand each other better. And I look at the leaders of these eight ERGs that we focused on during the pandemic, particularly, and how they've grown and how the stewardship has grown. And just last week, we had one of our associates talk about the fact that he was born with cerebral palsy and he shared the story with a thousand people on one of our webinars and talked about how he's been embraced in our culture and supported and has been able to really build his career and grow before you hear stories like that from your associates, you don't understand how important these ERGs are. So I've really been inspired by all of them and particularly that one last week. Mm, That's great. I mean, I I tell our teams, you know, crisis reveals character. And I think the examples you use here bring that to life, you know, whether it's helping out the retailer shopping down the carts or stepping up in ERGs in ways they hadn't before. I mean, I think, you know, you can never waste a good crisis. And I think we've seen so many examples of that, you know, in your company and my company and others where people just rise to the occasion. Um, That's absolutely right. And I think just in epic proportions. Agreed. And if we kept on that theme of the pandemic, I think, you know, we would all say in early 2020, we were deer in the headlights there were so many things coming at us. We didn't have a playbook for it. And, you know, in your case, I imagine there was this mix of headwinds and tailwinds like we all had. You know, in your case, as you talk about your business, obviously events disappeared, sampling disappeared for some period of time that significantly impacted you as you stand on, you know, not on the other side of it, but definitely, you know, almost hopefully through the shoot of this. As you look at the current climate, as you think about things going forward, what what are you seeing you know, as we get closer to hopefully the end of this and how optimistic are you about what the future looks like? Well, I'm very optimistic about the future, but I like what you said in terms of, you know, we're not all the way through this yet. During the pandemic, as we talked about, we saw unprecedented declines in away from home consumption and experiences and platforms built around live experiences. And we responded by scaling up a business that we had already developed, which was online grocery pickup services, online grocery sampling from people who were ordering. Um, We rapidly expanded digital solutions, demo solutions, um, ways to really engage shoppers with content and educate them. So we we really learned and built muscle to do things in different ways. Fortunately, we invested ahead of time. So these services were sitting on the sideline. We thought that they would grow, you know, five, 10% a year, but we basically made 15 years of progress in 15 months just by necessity. 
you know, one of the things that I said with my previous employer, Google, um, early on the pandemic, the first six months in, we said, you know what, there's not a lot that's new going on in terms of what companies are doing. It's just accelerating what they were working on. And e-commerce is one of those things. Everybody talked about it being important, but actually building the systems and solutions and really driving it, it was a matter of survival. And so it accelerated the pace of e-commerce. And then, you know, a good friend of probably both of ours, Doug McMillan, talks about the fact that even before the pandemic, 90% of people still walk through a retail outlet every single week in the U.S. And so as we think forward, and you're talking about the power of and, you know, when we think about shopping in this hybrid world, what's going to be different? What's going to be the same as, as you think about kind of where we were and where we're going? Well, I think what we're really finding out is the in-store experience really matters. In fact, you could argue that it matters most if people are doing a little bit less of it, if they're spending their dollar in different places, but we know the in-store experience matters because when people go to the store, they want an experience. Hmm. So I think we're seeing brands and retailers focus on the fundamentals of what should that experience be And how do we make that experience special when a consumer is in the store? How do we help convert that that consumer from a shopper to a buyer? And I think, how do we use that experience to make it special? Because I think another change, if you really think about it, driven by the pandemic was a bit of an erosion of brand and retailer loyalty, or to look at it on the flip side, more trial outside of a shopper's preferred brands and retailers. So as you look at um, the playing field being changed, how do we help brands and retailers capture their fair share anytime a shopper wants to shop, whether virtually or in store, but when they're in that store, we need to make sure it's a great experience. And that's something that we're all working together with brands and retailers to do. So Tanya, you just talked about you know the brand experience, and you know I think about that in terms of relevancy. And growing up as a brand marketer, you know your core responsibility is making sure your brand was relevant. As you think about today and tomorrow, what tools do you think are going to be critical, and what tools are going to be necessary as we go forward through the other side of of the pandemic? Yeah, I think what we're really thinking about and talking about and pushing on is really this need for unified commerce solutions. And we see those as integrated sales and marketing and e-commerce solutions that are scaled and customized for each client. And we believe that both brands and retailers need our help and your help to reach the omni-channel shopper and provide a fluid shopping experience. The shopping experience of yesterday where those things could be disconnected, no longer work. And I think there's a need more than ever to provide data-driven integrated campaigns to reach shoppers both in-store and online. And you know, one of the things that we're doing with our omni-channel experience is making sure that all of our agency activities from sales to marketing to technology are all interwoven in their recommendations and seamless so that the omnichannel shopping experience can be seamless. One of our agencies recently, our AMP agency, created a campaign for a juice brand to drive awareness to a targeted audience. And 
they had to make sure as all of our campaigns that it was seamless from online to in-store. So we created a new brand website so that consumers could find the product descriptions and the locations of the stores because we know there's a pre-shop online that didn't always happen before. Then there was a social media campaign that had a video series and paid digital ads that drove the shopper back to the store or online wherever they wanted to make that shopper to buyer conversion. And in that mix were digital ads and, and hubs of recipes and craft content and also included things that previously would only be in store. Strategic sampling of products to an online community, mobile um, coupons that drove, I think, somewhere around 80,000 purchases. So again, tying those tactics together for a seamless experience, I think every road leads to that. Every tool has to lead to that. Let's build on this, Tanya. And, and you know, the reality is one of the one of the things we all talk about as leaders is, you know, the changes we make and why we make them. And, but one of the interesting things, at least about me is, you know, a lot of times we don't change before we have to, right. We're pushed into changing and, you know, they always say necessity is another invention. So we figure it out. But one of the things I've read about you is when you became CEO um, or shortly after you became CEO in 2014, you made some significant investment in digital technology solutions that were really critical for you, for the industry to address the whole omnichannel challenge. Not everybody made that leap when you did. Can you talk about that? What drove you to do that? And how do you look forward and think about the changes that have to come down the road? So what drove us to do that was really the, the transforming before we had to transform really started back in 2010 when we looked at the business and we said, everyone's doing just fine, but we think the world will change. And we really believe that we need to start changing both people and technology. And we had a legacy business, just like most of the you know, players in our space. And we really believe good enough wasn't good enough. And we did some really difficult things in 2010. We parted with 18 of our top 23 executives hmm. to try to find new competencies, new experiences, people who could really work from the inside out with brands and retailers to be partners and consultants rather than look at things in legacy ways. So we had the conviction in 2010 that we had to be different. We understood that we really couldn't meet brands and retailers needs if we were just a sales partner. And in 2014, we looked and said, we really don't think we can meet brands and retailers needs if we're just a sales and marketing partner. We need to be a sales and marketing and technology partner. And we looked ahead and we really simply went through the journey of what we provided in store and in both our sales and our marketing functions and said, how do we replicate all of these functions to be able to scale these when they need to be in a virtual environment? So we started to put together a strategy of build versus buy with test and learns to understand how to be able to offer these services. And we put together a, collect a collection of technology offerings that we could be able to make that journey seamless for brands and retailers. And what we didn't know was that it was going to accelerate so quickly. What we did know was 
that we needed to be ready for change when it came. Mm. Mm. So the notion of change before you have to alive and well, for sure. Um, we, we operate by only the paranoid survive. So yes, we're always looking to, you know, we're on a journey of continuous improvement. We always will. In fact, we love change and disruption. We're crisis experts. We love that everybody's battle tested because we really believe that while it's painful at the point of pain, that change in the industry is good for us and it's good for providers that are willing to change because the problems of brands and retailers change and we have to be willing to evolve and not be the same in order to really meet opportunity and growth. If we stay the same, our services will be for the past, not for the future. So we actually thrive on it. I love that. And I love how you guys talk about the democratization of data, and as you talk about the you know build versus buy, uh, with the focus on cloud-based solutions, you know, it's something that is in our wheelhouse as well. As you as you look forward, as you think about that, are there any roadblocks you see on making data more accessible and actionable as we go forward? Well, I think you know privacy is is one, and I think security are, are the two that I think we have to be most careful about. But I think there's so many interesting and new ways to gather data and possibly even to share data at different points of the consumer's journey that might inform brands and retailers' actions in different ways than we do today. And you and I have talked about some of those. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're looking at what happened But in this world of information and technology and having the feet on the street and the technology, what can we gather in real time that actually might present more insight than what we see today? Hmm. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. We recently hosted a C-suite conversation with Paul Wood, who's the chief customer officer at Church & Dwight. And he specifically called out you guys as a fantastic collaborative partner, not only in helping them sell products, but in keeping it on the shelves. And, you know, one of the things talked about was data and analytics. How do you think about the use of data and analytics in these situations? You know, how, how do you leverage those, in, you know, in a world that is privacy constrained and security concerned, how do you continue to leverage the data analytics to help customers like Paul? That's a great question, and I love that Paul's always intellectually curious and pushes us for the next thing. And I think you know, collaboration and understanding where brands and retailers' pain points are is always what leads us to those new solutions. A great example of that is how the pandemic amplified inventory management challenges and out-of-stocks as demand rapidly increased as people were chasing to get products you know, during that time period. And the challenges were exacerbated by the surge in e-commerce orders at the same time, which were mostly fulfilled and stored. And then we had store labor shortages, which also exacerbated. So keeping products on the shelf, physical and digital ones is table stakes in our industry. And there was no time more challenging than the height of COVID to do that. And one of the things that we're able to do through technology, thankfully, is dynamically route our retail associates to thousands of stores segmented based on 300 million points of continually refreshed data 
that directs us to where we can make the most impact. So you can imagine how important that was in the middle of the pandemic, having that data to be able to understand where the out of stocks were, how to clear phantom inventory caused by products not being scanned, recording damaged inventory. We're feeding our retail teams with point of sale data, supply chain data, advanced algorithms to target and really correct those out of stocks before they occurred. So that technology was critically important at the height of the pandemic, though it's always important. And then I think, you know, the supply chain still isn't as stable as anyone in the industry would like. We're hearing this on earnings call after earnings call. And that's one of the biggest points at pain points of brands today. And in our survey that from manufacturers and retailers that we just did recently, we found 90% of retailers are changing their supply strategy as a result of that. And one fourth say they couldn't handle an increase in demand. And I think we're at that point again where consumers are hearing about shortages and outs. And, you know, I think we're all wondering, are we going to see that again? So We've been using technology to, again, tackle that as an evolving problem by adding data-driven supply chain services. We're helping really improve retailers' DC and in-store stock levels by collaborating on order forecasting, by monitoring data and analytics and inventory and promotion and sales. So those are just a couple of ways that technology is helping us solve the pain points of brands and retailers. Well, I, for one, am thankful you guys are around because who'd have thought two years ago, we'd be chasing toilet paper around the city. <laughs> so thankfully you're here to help us have that in stock when we need it. So on behalf we're of all there, of us. We're there for you, Kirk. You can count on us. <laughs> we, we greatly appreciate that. Um, and, you know, as you, as you think about that, you guys sit at such an interesting intersection between your retail partners and the manufacturers, right? You just talked about how that plays out. What do you think are some additional opportunities for collaboration, right? There's always areas of improvement. What do you, what do you think are opportunities for retailers and manufacturers to come closer together? You know, it is interesting sitting at that uh, position as a strategic intermediary, because you hear it all and you try to figure out where are the common themes. And in our June survey of both manufacturers and retailers, we found that there are heightened expectations from both sides on things that are pretty much now table stakes, e-commerce plans, uh, retail media spending is a big one and activities around that and in-store events in their joint business planning. And I think shopper-facing brand and retail messaging, we're hearing a lot about that, the need for that to be consistent. And to go back, products have to be available. They have to be visible wherever consumers are. And we talked about that before. That means both in-store and online with a single version of the truth. And that's not always easy. And so to be able to achieve that, there are really three areas where we see the need for closer collaboration and transparency and new thinking. And one is managing the digital shelf. That's, you know, we've talked about how the physical and the online journey need to be unified. We need a unified strategy there. I think the second is really price optimization with price pressures along the supply chain, increases in packaging. Um, everybody is looking at price 
And, you know, I think the third is trade promotion optimization and new approach is also needed here. We've, we've heard from brands who are really frustrated and need more than ever a return on that trade spending because a lot of things happened during COVID. Just because you won in percentage of sales doesn't mean that you won in share. And so, you know, we're looking at all of those things, but those three in particular as pain points from what we hear in terms of being at the center of both brands and retailers, those are pain points for everyone. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about those three particular things, but also the single version of the truth concept, which I love because a lot of times you're pulling data from so many different places, but being able to pull it together to be able to make those decisions in, in these three areas in particular, like we're dealing with unprecedented price increases for consumers. Like, you know, we used to run in our, in our old worlds, you know, you'd, you'd run pricing studies and price elasticity and know how much, who knows what that is now when you're taking multiple price increases a year and everything's inflating. I mean, it's, it's a crazy time. So I think your whole concept of how do we have one single version of the truth is so critically important. So hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, Another important thing is for retail partners is private label, private brands. You guys made a strategic acquisition uh, back in 2017 with Damon Worldwide, which is a private brand building organization. Tell us about that and why that was important to you guys then, but important going forward. That's a great question. We're really excited about the Damon business. We did make that acquisition in 2017 and three years later, really happy with what we've been able to do with that business. Damon is the leader in private label. They were the pioneers in this business and they brought us capabilities in private label that we could have never built to scale on our own, which enabled us to capitalize on another accelerating trend. And this allowed us to really serve the retailers in a different way, all the way from determining what products are on trend, how to source those products, how to market those products, and how to really come up with a private label strategy to complement and augment what the retailers are doing. Anything from a la carte, where we're helping with the strategy, to being on site with 100 people at a retailer, actually doing all of the functions from soup to nuts. Mm. You know, you think about all our training as, as brand marketers and my history and my DNA would tell me that, you know, fiscal 2021 should have been boom years for private labels, but they haven't been really. So what, you know, I thought, I thought they'd be much stronger. So why aren't they? And what can retailers do there? I think that's a great question. And I don't think we exactly know the answer, but I think, you know, some hypothesis might be that. Uh, consumers have had quite a few dollars in their pocket from stimulus. And some consumers who typically buy private label may have been trying other brands as they've had more dollars in the wallet. I think the other thing is just supply. I don't think any of us can really know what's um, on trend to grow until we have full shelves and until shoppers have the ability to buy anything they want, whether it's branded or private label. Mm. What we found during the pandemic and still now, I mean, if you go out and you look in the stores, there are a lot of out of stocks because of supply chain. So it's really hard to say who's winning and who's losing and why beyond supply. 
But we expect that private label will continue to be an important part of both retailers' strategies and consumers' shopping habits. But I think it's very hard for anybody to Monday morning quarterback Mm. what happens on the other side and what the impact has been. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is upending so many of our conventional wisdom learnings from the past. I mean, I think we're rewriting so many playbooks now, and I think this is one area in particular that we'll have to see, right, as we come through this on the other side when supply normalizes and we're not seeing stimulus and we're not seeing the other things that are floating in the marketplace, what what happens? It's going to be an incredible next year or two, for sure. I always say it'd be a fascinating movie if we weren't right in the middle of it. <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah, it seems more like a bad dream sometimes. Um, hey, as you, as you think about your business, I mean, you guys have you know, an incredible global reach, 45 countries. We're across the globe as well. I've worked on global business for, for the last 30 years, but I'd love to get your perspective on some of it because each country in the world is reacting to the pandemic differently. Um, and so there'll be different sales and marketing challenges for some of our global partners. How do you find the commonalities when some of the businesses are so dramatically different from one market to the next? And said another way, how do you find that as consistent as possible, as different as necessary balance that you really need in today's world? Well, I think what we've learned is it's we would love it to be as consistent as possible, but it's really not. So it's not what we want. We're seeing business dynamics vary greatly by market. It varied before, but in terms of COVID and where people are in stages, um, it makes it even more different. And now it's not just by by country, within regions, just within Europe. Um, there are markets that are similarly consolidated to North America with large, established, and sophisticated branded retailers that are changing their strategy during COVID in ways that they never thought they would before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think just the fragmentation makes it even more difficult in markets like that. In Asia and Africa, we also see this full spectrum plus new retailing concepts that are leapfrogging into pure online and direct to consumer solutions. You know, I went to South Africa right before the pandemic and just to see the difference in what was happening in technology in South Africa and China versus where it was two years ago, huge differences. So I I think that what we know is everyone faces the same sales and marketing challenges, but I think you can't look at the market as just Europe or Asia. It's now down to regions, which is even more difficult, which is why the whole whack-a-mole makes it even harder during the pandemic. I mean, business is just much harder to do because we're having to adapt nuances to more localized regions, sometimes even zip codes. You look across the world, but look at the United States. I mean, we have counties right next to each other that have different mandates for things, right? So playing out on a global basis makes it even more challenging because you're trying to, love the whack-a-mole analogy, but you're trying to be able to get that consistency but, I, but I, again, unprecedented times for all of us, but I imagine your business is even that much harder. Tanya, as we wrap up our time together, I'd love to pick your brain on leadership because you've had the opportunity to you know, run your company for a while. You've grown up in it in a lot of ways, and you've seen across multiple industries in your time. And I really want to pick your brain on this because I think a lot of us can, can learn from you. Um, 
when you look at yourself, you know, starting out at Jam Smucker to today, um, how has your leadership style been shaped or changed over that time? What are, what are some good lessons for all of us to learn? I think my favorite lesson is adversity is a gift. Hmm. Being battle tested is a gift. When I think about, you know, my career, the first 20 years of my career, I was pretty perfect. Never missed a number, always had assignments where I could excel quickly and could always win. And it wasn't really until I stepped into the COO role at Advantage where I really had to withstand battles that I couldn't just go in with a magic wand and and outwork and outmaneuver to win. Mm. And it was during those times that I really came to value how much battle testing and adversity shapes leadership. And in fact, it's even changed how I look at and value talent, both externally and internally. 10 years ago, if somebody sat in front of me, I would want to hear why they could never lose. And today, I want to hear about the worst thing that's ever happened to you in business and how you scratched and clawed your way out of it to emerge victorious. I want to hear how you failed and then you rose from the ashes because you have to be brave to lead. And you have to be courageous. And I think that the confidence that you build and the confidence that I've been able to build through adversity has been 10 times more important than all of those years of a perfect track record. So two nuggets of wisdom in there for me amongst many. One is adversity is a gift. And the second is you have to be brave and courageous to lead. Um, Excellent insight and wisdom there for sure. And you know, as the old saying goes, a, you know, a piece of coal is a piece of coal until it has pressure, and then it's a diamond. And um, so I think you articulated those in a great way. And, and as you, you know, as you think about the last couple of years and those leadership philosophies, um, you know, how much has that enabled you to get through this and have the perspective that you have? I mean, have you, has there been anything you've picked up in the last couple of years or have you been able to take the principles that you've gotten around adversity and brave and courageousness and brought that to bear during the pandemic? I think it was almost like all of that adversity was preparation mm-hmm. for this day. And a lot of evangelization, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of evangelization to the team that, this isn't a time for fear. This is a time to lean in. It's a time to capitalize on everything bad that comes our way and figure out how to get out of it, how to end up on the other side stronger, more resilient. And it, again, it, it goes back to who wants to follow a leader that is only captain on calm seas. So everybody's had the chance in the last year to be a captain on stormy seas. Mm. And I think we can all look at our teams. And I think what I want is I want all of our teams and leaders of people to have gained managerial courage from this. If I can lead through this, 
I can lead through anything. There's always a way out. There are always multiple paths to victory. As long as you're looking at your business and saying, we're in a state of continuous improvement, we're evolving, and we're in this for the long term. So I think, to me, those are the most powerful leadership lessons. If you have the right talent and you have that mindset, ultimately, you're always going to win. Love that thought and how critically important leadership is, particularly during tumultuous times, right? Cream rises to the top and it's so important. What's interesting as well is, you know, I was always taught growing up as a leader that people quit their boss, not their company. And, you know, during the pandemic, we've heard this expression, the great resignation. People start to reevaluate life and look around and say, I'm not sure I want to be doing this. I just saw a stat the other day that said something like, 35% of people are actively considering leaving their current job slash career path in the next year. And we've seen this have a significant impact uh, in the industries that we work, particularly heavy impact on females. And, you know, as you think about this as a leader in the industry, how do you view this impact on both CPG and retailers? And is there anything we can do about it? I think it's really hard. I'm not sure that there's an easy answer. I don't think there's a magic bullet. I think that what I'm trying to encourage people and in particularly women to do, because we found women exiting the workforce in greater proportion than men, is to try to encourage women and men not to make any decisions now. This is a time of disruption. This is not a normal time. And this too shall pass. So sometimes, you know, just the freeing mentally of saying, I'm going to go something else, go to something else might sound great because this is a really tough time, but what is on the other side? And I think that people are going to make changes and reevaluate their priorities and their work-life balance and whether they're willing to do some of the things that we all did before the pandemic. And I think that's a good thing because I think that's human progress. Mm. But I think the notion of making big career decisions right now doesn't serve the associates well. So my counsel has really been, let's try to help and support you through this time. And then let's talk about this at the end and figure out what's best for you. Mm. So one of the things I've taken away from our conversation today and, and the conversations that we've had is, is progressed is you are, you are a definite glass half full person. I love that. So very energizing conversation. I thank you for your partnership, for your leadership in this industry, and really appreciate your time today. I know you've got a lot going on and a lot of things pulling at you, but I think everyone who's been listening to this today is really going to take away some pretty important things and and really appreciate the gift of your time. Thanks so much. Really appreciate your partnership and thanks for the time and look forward to continuing on this journey to evolve and figure out together how do we serve our brands and retailer partners even better in the future than we do today together. Thank you, Tanya and Kirk. Um, There's no doubt our industry is changing dramatically And it's really inspiring to hear from leaders like you who are getting ahead of all these changes and in fact, really leading much of the change needed to keep our industry relevant and thriving. 
For our listeners and viewers, I'd like to recap a few of the key themes that I heard today. We kick things off with um, Tanya talking about what you're most proud of. You talked about your frontline workers, the efforts during the pandemic to do whatever it took to make it happen, pivoting literally overnight from ambassadors in the stores to those sanitizing shopping carts to support your retail customers. You talked about the evolution of your employee resource groups, the empathy and compassion demonstrated through this crisis, and how that has led to creating a culture of support and inclusivity, and how truly inspiring that transformation has been to witness. During COVID, you evolved rapidly, accelerating many aspects of your existing strategy quickly to come out stronger. Things like scaling virtual sampling capabilities as part of grocery pickup services, new ways of demoing new solutions all virtually. You now have a great scale service offering in both physical and omni services to support evolving hybrid shopping. You also talked about the evolving brand experience and preserving relevancy helping brands and retailers focus on the in-store experience even more to take that visit and make it special given hybrid omni-shopping experiences and how those are rapidly coming together. You talked about the tools that were critical to deliver on that hybrid omni experience, unified commerce solutions, integrated sales, marketing, and commerce solutions that provide a connected, seamless experience leveraging data-driven, integrated campaigns to consumers online and in-store. And you also stress the importance of integration. Every road and every tool must lead to that, a fully integrated, seamless experience. You talked about transformation and how you were really transforming before you really had to transform as a result of the, the pandemic and really trend-spotting what was happening well into the future. You knew change was imminent even before the pandemic kicked off. You talked about your operating principle of only the paranoid survive and how you guys are on a continuous journey of change and transformation. I know you made some difficult choices to prepare the business for the future and that you couldn't be just a sales and marketing partner but you focus on transforming and evolving, evolving your business to become a sales, marketing, and technology partner in both physical and online environments. You also talked about the role of data and technology in transformation. Certainly privacy and security are of course evolving and of great importance and concern to you and your business, but there are so many new ways to gather and share data throughout that customer journey to find totally new insights and create more value for consumers as well as brands and retailers. You talked about how data and technology are essential, not only to running your business today, but well into the future. You gave an example of, of COVID during the supply chain outages that so many were experiencing and we were joking about the shortage of toilet paper. Moving on, you also talked about the role of collaboration and how there are heightened expectations from both brands as well as retailers and how Advantage plays a unique role at the epicenter. You talked about one of the biggest pain points being shopper-facing brand and retail messaging and execution must be interconnected and available 
seamlessly, coming to Bright in three distinct ways, managing the digital shelf, price optimization, and trade promotion optimization. And of course, all of this is underpinned and solved with a single version of the truth supported by data and technology. You talked about the role of private label and the many exciting opportunities ahead for private label manufacturers and retailers. You talked about being as consistent as possible, but as different as necessary as you're operating across global markets and the need to sense what's happening in each market and frankly, down to the region level and have the agility to tailor and act accordingly. We close out the conversation on your leadership philosophy and what were your lessons to learn and impart to the audience. Your favorite learning was around adversity is a gift. Being battle tested is a gift. During times of battle, you said, adversity has helped shape how you look at talent internally as well as externally. You said that you wanted to understand from people how you failed and how you rose from the ashes. You must be brave and courageous to learn and to lead. Adversity delivers this, creating captains on stormy seas. Thanks again for your time, an incredible conversation and so much insight to glean from the discussion from both you and Kirk. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take the opportunity to review our thought leadership, including valuable reports and a dashboard of economic indicators. As always, thanks for listening. Take care and have a wonderful day.